0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redeemer Church. We pray that as you listen to this message, that your heart would be softened, your ears would be open, and your affections for Jesus would be stirred. We pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would look more like Jesus and know him more as we strive to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family together in Wichita Falls. Yes, guys can take a seat. Good morning. What's up? I'm Davis. Um, thank you for that introduction, Cody. I, um, I'm pumped up to bring the word today. Um, it's really an honor to, to have been a part of this church plant from day one, to have seen us go from uh, the Ark place we were meeting at the Hero House to the Kemp Center to here. Man, it's been an awesome journey for these two years, and God has blessed us tremendously. I cannot wait to see where he takes us for these next few years. Um, Let me open up today's sermon with a scripture that's not in the sermon text, but it's uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. It's hard to read from here. It says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I'm going to pray again for us. Father, you alone have immortality. You alone have the strength to uphold all of creation and you alone are light. And God, your promise is that you came and you come to dwell among us. God, you're here among us today and we are now being built into a temple that is for you to dwell amongst. God, I pray for um, hearts that are, have full faith today as I hear this message, and I pray for my own heart um, that it learns to enjoy this text more and more every time I read it. Lord, I'm thankful for this, and I pray for your strength, I pray that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so today, I think Jesus is going to, he has a message in John 14 with the power to keep your walk with him hot for your entire life. That, that the message Jesus brings today has enough power to keep your walk with him hot for your entire life. Does that make sense? This is the, the overarching theme today, all right? Uh, see, about a, a week and a half ago was my six-year anniversary of walking with Jesus. Um, And so I embark on my seventh year now, which means it's the Sabbath year, so I'm chilling. That means I'm doing nothing for the rest of this year, but um, it's been amazing. And about a month ago, I was hanging out with my buddy Landon on his front porch, having a late night chat like we often do. And I was just ranting about the stuff I've been learning. I'm like, man, how is it that I've read John 14 my, like, for six years now, and it's just now coming alive to me? And how am I seeing that Jesus loves me in these fresh ways every day? And I'm like, stammering through all this stuff I'm learning. I'm like, it's so crazy. I just, I just, uh... and Landon interjects. And he goes, it's kind of like you just met him. And I said, Exactly. And I don't think he's digging on me. I don't think he's trying to say, oh, did you just believe, bro? I think what he's saying is this thing happens when you walk with the Lord that he is fresh and new every day. I was in Austin two weeks ago. That's why I wasn't here. And I was with uh, my whole family. But I I had one car ride with my brother-in-law. And um, he was telling me about this new friend that he made. Who was He's like this 55-year-old guy he met through work. And they play golf together, which is cool if you're into bad. And they, they're playing and um, he said this guy calls himself an evangelical mystic which is just code for Christian if you didn't know that. Uh, he's just trying to be fancy. But um, he, he described this guy as someone who is so vibrant, it's like he's still 25, and the way he engages every day, the way he meets new people, the way he prays, and the way he talks about Jesus, he's just glowing, he's beaming, He's like he, his eyes just sparkle always, and he's just alive and awake and ready to speak about him whenever he comes up. And when he comes up in conversation, it's like it's like just a waterfall comes out of him and he just talks about Jesus nonstop and he's glowing and he's excited and he's jumping up and down. And I'm like, man, how is this guy walking with Jesus for 25 years and still just beaming? I'm like, surely you cool off one day. See, when I first believed, I thought, man, about a, I was 18, so I'm like, I'll do this for about a year. I'm sure to will kind of chill out. I'll just be like the Sunday guy that's just hanging out. Uh, and I'll just kind of squeeze by and my walker thing will be pretty mellow but I'll be a pretty good guy you know that's how it'll go and then a year went by and that was kind of what was happening but I was still like man I'm shocked I'm still in to this then two years go by and I was like man I'm actually more in love with Jesus than I was before and then another year goes by and it just keeps increasing and increasing and increasing and how is I'm like who is this God that to know him constantly increases my love for him every single day fresh and anew and you guys know what I mean by hot? Um, I'm, I'm quoting Revelation chapter 3. So I'm not talking, I'm talking about, I think temperature is appropriate. Um, and, and really what he says is he's, Jesus rebukes churches in Revelation, his glorified form in a vision to John, that's why it's called Revelation. The, the rebuke to the church in Laodicea, he says, you are neither hot nor cold, but you are lukewarm and because you're a lukewarm I spit you out Um, and you might hear that and you might say man another day for me to just get it wrong you know man I am lukewarm great like awesome I just another box I don't check how how do I keep it hot and you might even be thinking man This sentence changes everything because Jesus set the benchmark now, the new standard for walking with him is not mellow or cool or stagnant or lukewarm, but is hot. Like this is the bar that is set. Jesus says, you must be hot. And what I think he means by hot is, is hot with love. I don't think he's describing this strung out over hustling person, but someone that when Jesus comes up, their heart just explodes with love. I mean, I'm sure most of us have experienced something like this where someone enters a room and your heart starts to flutter a little bit or when they come up in conversation, you get excited and uh, you catch yourself like staring or just thinking and your mind wanders like this love. And Jesus is saying, you must be so in love with me, the temperature would be considered hot. That is the standard of walking with Jesus. And this is not an opportunity to just heap shame of like, oh man, I'm just kind of like half in, so this kind of stinks for me. But actually, what's going on is Jesus has the power to deliver you from every and any sin struggle you have. That is the point of Jesus coming, is to abolish, to destroy the works of the devil. Every struggle, say it out loud, every struggle. Every struggle. No, no, y'all thought I meant some. Y'all thought I meant to say some struggles, that the easy ones we can just kind of polish off of us and we'll just kind of blend in and we walk in here and we hang out and really inside our heart is just as wretched as it's always been. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus has the ability to rescue us from all sin and struggles. I didn't just say you're going to become perfect tomorrow, but man, Jesus can do a lot more than you think. Um... You see, I'm afraid that a lot of us tend to take our personality and say, well, and just kind of slap Jesus on the side like a sandwich, like, and then you just got a little Jesus sandwich, and it's you in the middle, and that's how it goes. And that might look like, well, I know Jesus said that we should be, uh, I should love those around me, but I'm not really that emotional. So I probably just kind of will ignore that. Or uh, I know Jesus wants me to to worship him and sing to him, but I'm not really much of a singer. So I'll probably just throw that part aside. Or he wants me to to give my money, but it's like, well, I've got a lot of stuff I want to do with my money. Or, Or things pile up and suddenly you just kind of have your personality with a Jesus flair. But the real question at hand today for all of us should be this. What kind of life does Jesus deserve Not how do you apply the Christian life to you, but how do you make your life worthy of Jesus? Does that make sense? We good? Cool. All right, so we get to the text. We look at John 14, and I try to sum up what he's teaching as quickly as I could. It's a long passage. It's kind of convoluted with ups and downs, and I thought what would be best is to just summarize it as quickly as possible. So what he did is he's teaching us about the coming gift that he has for us called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a reality for all believers um, and he dwells within us. And so I would say this, the summary Jesus gives in this passage of what the Holy Spirit's action in your life is, is twofold. One, Christ in us. And two, Christ manifest to us make sense this is the most simple i tried really hard this is the most simple definition i can give you it's christ in us and christ manifest us i could talk all day about it if i had the chance but i don't so it's one sentence and there we go and you'll notice jesus opens up in verse 16 he says i will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever and I read that, and I'm like, man, what does he mean, another helper? Like, isn't this the first? And like, kind of only get, like, what's going on here? And the reality is, Jesus is the first helper. He's already the help. And in Matthew 28, Jesus stands before his disciples in his glorified form. He's about to ascend into heaven after the resurrection. And he says, behold, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the disciples are sitting there and their ears remember, their mind remembers that Jesus says, if your word dwells within me, ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be given to you. And suddenly we realize, Paul calls this the immeasurable power towards us who believe. That God has raised Jesus up, given him authority over all things, and he's placed him over as head over the church. So our head together today is Jesus, the one with all authority and strength and dominion and might over all things. And he is our first helper. And he says, ask me anything in my name and you will have it. Anything. Imagine with me. You're stargazing, and you're laying back. I was on a golf course last night practicing this out loud in the dark, like preaching to the golf course. And uh, <laughs> I was looking at the stars, and the clouds kind of roll over, and it's quiet. And it, I just it's almost like God is screaming, just ask. Just ask. Jesus is saying, just ask me. In Isaiah, I think it's chapter 8, and I didn't plan on saying this, but King Ahaz, Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and says, man, the Lord asks that you require a sign of him, that you ask a sign of him. And Ahaz says, I will not ask a sign of God. And then Isaiah replies, is it not enough that you make man weary, but you make God weary also? The point being that when we don't ask God for help, when we're not seeking Jesus for the help he's promised us, we make his heart weary. We're not sparing him work. We are making him more weary by not seeking him. And this is our first help. Our first helper is Jesus himself at the right hand who hears us. And now there's another helper. And the other helper is the Holy Spirit. Summed up twofold, Christ in us and Christ manifest to us. What's significant about Christ in us is that we tend to think that God is really far Right, A lot of us might have this in our mind that God is far off, Jesus is far off on a mountain, unattainable, and the only way to get to him is some sort of righteous pilgrimage of a few good days where I read my Bible or a few good days where I don't stumble in sin or uh, whatever it looks like that you feel righteous enough to finally go to God. But the scriptures tell us that there is one factor, just one, just one factor that determines your nearness to God and it's the blood of Christ. The blood alone draws us near to God. This is Ephesians 2. The college students put over it this week. What up? And uh, uh, that's good news because we tend to think that it's our feelings or our own righteousness that somehow climbs us up to him, but there has never been a different factor in your entire life that determines your proximity to God besides his blood. And now this implication is that every day, every second, no matter where you are, no matter where you, how you feel, no matter what you've just done, no matter what is going on around you, Christ is near and in you. See, this is the follow-up of Matthew 28 also. He says, Behold, I will be with you always until the end of the age. Christ has come so near, he's in us. If you notice in the passage, it said that I will make my home with him. Jesus makes his home with him within us. The second part is that um, Christ is manifest to us. This is the second description of what the Holy Spirit does. Do we know what manifest means? I I had to kind of do some digging here uh, of what Christ manifest to us meant. But I found that it means to make plain or to appear before or to make oneself known and so Jesus is saying that I'm very very knowable you can know me you can know me I can appear before you and uh, when I first imagined Christ manifest I imagined the scene in the lot where Babe Ruth comes out of the closet and he's like anyone know what I'm talking about And he's in Benny's Benny the Jets room and he like the spirit of Babe Ruth comes in I was like dude that's crazy and I, that that might happen to you with Jesus but it's it's less likely um, But the point is, Jesus is promising, I will make myself known to you. It's not a like, oh, I might if you're lucky, or if you're one of the good ones, or if you just make the cut. Jesus has promised to everyone who believes in his name, I will come to you, and I will make myself manifest to you. You will know me the way I know the Father, and the Father knows me. He even says, in that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You will know. He says, you will know. Um, you see, Moses actually asked God for him to manifest himself to him. Uh, another word for manifest is to pass by, to come before, to walk in front of. And that's exactly what Moses asks uh, God to do while he's on Mount uh, Zion or Mount Sinai. With, uh, and he's receiving the law from God. He says, God, I wish to see you. Make your glory known to me. And he says, okay. And he says, I'm going to hide you behind this rock. and I'm going to walk past you. And when I walk past you, if you see my face, you'll die. So wait till I'm past you. Then you'll see my back. And that will be what you get to see. And you'll proclaim my name. And so uh, the, this is a Christophany, an example of Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And so Jesus walks across the mountain. And, and Moses just sees the back of him. And Moses hangs out with Jesus a little while on the mountain, or with God a little while on the mountain. And he comes back down. and He doesn't realize it, but his face glows. His face is shining. His face shines so bright they put a veil over it. Everyone's like, Moses, what is going on? His face shines. And it sounds a lot to me like the same example of this 55-year-old man that I know, where he's, or I don't know, but I heard about, that his beams with joy. That he beams with joy. His face glows. He is alive. He is bright. He is vibrant. Ugh. Man. And so a lot of us, we tend to think that if we stare at certain things, like Moses just saw something walk by, something was manifest to him, we tend to think our Christian life is something else manifest to us besides the person of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Uh, We tend to think our relationship with God is tied up in our relationship with our church, like that our relationship, are we part of a church? Okay, then I'm good. Like. I talk to people all the time, I meet strangers, people ask what I do, I say I work for a church. Instantly the conversation gets weird, like every time, and people are like, oh yeah, I go to church, like me too, man. And it just kind of gets weird, I'm like, like, okay, Like, I thought we were having fun, like what's going on? And uh, a lot of us think that our relationship with God is just church. Or that it's just our Christian friends. Or that our relationship with God is just our checklist of how, like maybe our report card of how sinless we've been. And that's our Christian life. So we stare at those things. And the evidence would be uh, when your church rises or falls, you rise or fall. Or that uh, when your friends aren't enough, suddenly your Christian life crumbles into nothing. Or when you don't attend enough Bible studies or enough things, suddenly you feel like you're you're not right with God, everything's wrong. You might even think that your relationship with God is equal to your relationship with the Bible. And I'm surprised no one just fell out of their chair. But I'm saying that just the Word without communing with God is not the Christian life. In fact, the Word of God exists as a launching pad to then attach to God, to know and interact with Him. And so if we just read the Word for the sake of the Word, you totally miss it. You totally miss it. It's so possible. And evidence that you're interacting with any of these things instead of with God Himself is that your temperature, like we talked about, just kind of slowly mellows. And before you know it, Jesus is just something else that you do in your life and you move on with your day and all of the rest of life consumes you and Jesus is just a small fraction and then he's just like, yep, I follow Jesus. And that's because we stare at the wrong thing because to stare at God himself, Moses' face glows, but the angels in heaven that stare at him now on the throne have been crying holy since the foundation of the earth and they still cry it every day. It's not because they were given a script. It's not because they were given a script, it's because they just see him and there's nothing else to shout but holy, holy, holy. You see, when you stare at the man, Christ, when you interact with the man, Jesus, he is infinitely brilliant. He is infinitely powerful, infinite beauty, enough that we can shout holy and be hot with love for him forever. This is what it is to walk the Christian life. This is why Moses' face glows. This is why that guy's face was similar, though it didn't actually glow, but he was so alive. And this is how six years in to walking with Jesus, I'm like, man, I just met him. Like, what is going on? You see, Moses just saw his back. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, the God who says, let there be light, shines in our hearts. And says, let there be lights in our hearts. And he says that it illuminates the face of Jesus, not the back. You see, in the new covenant, we don't just see the back of God. And Moses brought in a covenant that just brought death. Like, the law just brought death to everybody. Like, thanks a lot, man. And the, the, the law passed away one day, and it just died. That covenant was weak. It brought death and, and died. It was holy, but it wasn't bringing life. But our new covenant today brings life to all And it is eternal. And we behold the face of Jesus, not his back. How much more should we be glowing from knowing him? Amen. This is Christ manifest to us. And it is not simply cool. Cool as in cool temperature, lukewarm. Um, And this is a spiritual reality, right? This is a spiritual reality. Like, Jesus isn't shining somewhere here behind me. Like, he's not you know, he doesn't walk side by side with you in some sort of, he's not a person right there, but it's a spiritual reality. And we read 1 Corinthians 2 together uh, this week or last week if you're on the reading plan. And 1 Corinthians 2 says that we describe spiritual realities to those of us who are spiritual. And uh, as Christians, we believe the word and the word tells us that humans aren't just flesh and bones, but they have a spirit. Humans have a spirit. I would even make the case that humans are body and soul and spirit. And just to unpack this for a second, this probably plays out in your life like um, your flesh cries out for carnal and sinful desires, right? We know what this feels like. And then our soul exists, it's our creature, our being, it's who we are. It is our mind, our emotions, and our will. So we are able to will things. We can choose, and we choose things with our will. We can choose either to grab things that are of the flesh or grab things of the spirit. It is within the will, within your soul, for all those who, born, who are born again, to grab hold of the Spirit. And then the Spirit exists in us as our conscience and our gut. So when you're feeling your conscience as a believer, scream, screams that. You. you ever feel that? Your conscience is just like, do it, or don't, or something, you know, it's your, your conscience screams, your gut tells you, man, I've got this gut feeling, that might be the spirit within you, I'm, I'm quoting when Jesus is troubled in his spirit, he's troubled in his conscience, or when Jesus uh, discerns in his spirits the thoughts of the people around him, it was probably a, a gut feeling, so when you feel those things, there's your spirit within you, and your spirit is also the part of you that communes with God. And so we're seeing that that Jesus dwells with us and manifests himself to us in our spirit. I know that's a lot of spiritual talk, but it's the only way to understand. Because if we don't describe this, the scriptures tell us in in Romans 8 or in 1 John that, that we know we are sons of God because of the spirit that dwells within us. If you don't know what that means, how will you say amen to that scripture? Because you don't even know what that means you don't you don't know what the spirit is like well that's great if i have it i'm still not sure you know uh, but instead we can know because the spirit dwells with us in conscience in god and in the part of us that communes with god Uh, we move on to say that this means that when we are communing with god in our spirit and he walks with us he's in us and manifests us we don't have to do to prove to god no more just doing to prove to yourself or to ease your conscience that you're finally good, but instead we get to walk with God. This is the plan it's been since the very beginning. Christ in us and Christ manifest to us is the new covenant fulfilling of Christ walking with us. It's been the plan the entire time. In Genesis, the, the garden is formed, and what does God do with Adam and Eve? Or does he do? He walks with them. In Genesis 3:8, they hear him walking in the cool of the day. God God wanted to walk with his people. And then in Genesis chapter 5, there's this whole uh, lineage, like this genealogy that most of us don't understand because it's really confusing and no no one explains it to us. But what's going on is there's six people that die. So-and-so lived this many years and he died. So-and-so lived this many years and he died. So-and-so lived this many years and he died. And it goes to the seventh and it says, Enoch lived so-and-so many years and he was not. He didn't die. For God took him up For Enoch walked with God. So what's going on is Enoch didn't die, but God took him up, and he was never found again, and it's because he walked with God. He walked. That's what I'm saying. He walked with God. And then in Genesis 6, verse 9, God chooses to to use Noah in the Noah's Ark story, and it says, for Noah walked with God. It's right there, Genesis 6, 9. We then see in Leviticus 26, I don't remember this verse as well, so I'm going to flip there. Verse 11. This is God's promise in Leviticus. It's in there. It says this, I will make my dwelling among you. Like God says, I'll make my home with you right here. I'll make my dwelling among you. And my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. It's a promise right there in Leviticus 26. In Leviticus 26 verbatim is quoted in 2 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? As it is said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God. The promise I used to think the promise meant one day we will be in the new heavens and new earth and we'll walk with God then, and it's true. But we get to walk with God today. This is the promise of the new covenant that the Scriptures are not saying that the, that today as believers God is far off and unknowable, but that He is in us and manifest to us. I, I heard one time someone tell her testimony, and they said, "I fell deeply in love with the person of Jesus," and I thought, "Man, that sounds kind of weird." It's so personal. <laughs> What's going on? Like, uh, most people are just like, now I love God. Like, I don't know. But something struck me about it. So I was like, do you know Jesus personally? And I was reading and I realized, man, that's exactly what the scriptures describe. First John 3 says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with God. And we get to walk with him each day. And what's amazing is that in Hebrews 11, when it describes Enoch, in verse 5, it says, For Enoch was commended as having pleased God. As having pleased God. And with faith, hear me now, if, if, if you don't have faith in Jesus, without faith it's impossible to please God. And all that does not proceed from faith is sin. And so a lot of us have been taught that our good works are filthy rags to God, right? Like a lot of us have heard that. But that's true for those who are outside of the new covenant, not those that are in. When we are in, our obedience and our sacrifice and our communion with him pleases God. Uh, Colossians 1 says that you would walk in a manner worthy of him, walk, that you would walk, walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him. In Psalm 147, that his delight is not in the strengths of horses or in the strengths of armies, but God's delight is in those that fear Him and hope in His steadfast love. What do you guys delight in? God delights in those who fear Him and hope in His steadfast love. God delights in your obedience. This moves on even to Hebrews 13 tells us to offer up sacrifices to God, sacrifices of lips that acknowledge His name and of us giving our resources freely. He says, "For such sacrifices are pleasing." to God. It pleases God. It makes God smile. Do you realize your life can make Jesus pumped up? Did you know that? You can live a life where Jesus says, that was awesome. I loved it. That's what Jesus can do. Not, not, I used to think that I'll see God one day and I'll just be chronically a disappointment to him. I will just not be enough and he will just see me and say, hey bro, you tried and like a little pat on the shoulder and be like, yeah, thanks man, like, I'll go sit down now. Like, no, he's gonna be like, that was amazing. That time you obeyed, that sacrifice you made, that conversation that you didn't wanna have but you know I wanted you to have that you did, the time you you risked your financial situation, the way you gave up your sin when you knew me, the way you spent time with me, our prayer that day when you went away to know me, I loved it, it was amazing, I love you. That is what God will say. Not that you disappointed me. Um, We then see, in Revelation, again, here I go, man, I got the same book, here we go. Revelation, there's this mystery going on, it's the vision. And uh, the first proclamation of the rebukes, I brought the rebukes earlier, I brought the end of Revelation earlier, but this is still the rebukes I'm talking about right here. The first one opens up, says, to the angel in Ephesus, right, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven lampstands. That's Jesus. If you didn't know, Jesus holds the stars and he walks among the seven lampstands. But here's what happens. We see in verse 20 right above, And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. What that means is that God walks among us today. That Jesus walks among our church today. He is at work in our church today, and his eyes are like fire. He sees all things. And imagine, use your imagination with me, that through the doors sometime during our service, Jesus walked in. And he gets to see what we do, and you get to see what you do, and you got to see your morning, and you get to see when you drive home, and you get to see what you do tomorrow morning, and how do you feel when I say that? How do, I, how do you feel? Do you say, Jesus? Look at the way I sang to you today. Look at the way I devote myself to your word. Look at the way I love those around me. The way I give so much to everything that you are, God. The way I acknowledge you all days and celebrate you all days. God, look at the way I've given myself to you. Even when I stumble, God, I bring it right to you. And he says, I know. I love it. Or do you realize that Jesus saw us today and do you just kind of feel a little squirmy? You know, man, he saw that. He knows. like. He knows. He knows the way I, I I sang today. He knows the way I prayed today. He knows the way I, I was what I was doing in the car, or the way uh, I, I treated my family, or the way I, I I treat my roommate. He knows. That makes me a little uncomfortable. And I'm not here to like I said earlier. This is not the shame game. Like we're not doing shame here. There's no shame in the new covenant. Jesus loves us, gave himself for us, and forgave us. But he calls us to live lives worthy of him. And if you feel uncomfortable at the thought of Jesus seeing your entire life, it's just evidence that your spirit, okay, is bearing witness against you. It's saying, hey, we gotta step up a little bit. We gotta make a new change. We gotta follow him for real. We gotta buy in. It's time to go all because we can't live lives that just mellow out into, into lukewarm faith. So, um, what does this mean, right? Like we're talking about walk with God, we're talking about knowing him, how do we apply thoughts like this, these weird spiritual realities that feel beyond our grasp, and how do we take them like today? How do I, how do I walk with God today? Help me out. Well, I found five things in the scriptures that, uh, in the New Testament that describe making us complete, uh, this, like, completeness. Uh, two times in 1 John, there are actions you can do that perfect the love of God in you, the love of God perfected in you. Then there's a moment in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 where it says we bring holiness to perfection, to completion. And then there's a moment where the Word of God equips the man of God makes him perfect and complete and ready for every good work. And then in James, in chapter 1, we see that suffering is able to make you holy and complete. You may complete through suffering. So uh, we could talk about all those things. I could do a whole other hour if we wanted to about all of it, but I think I'll, I'll make it brief um, and cover three of them. One is is to walk with God is to abide in God. And abide is, is a weird word. Uh, it doesn't... It's so Christian-y, but what it's saying is that to abide is to stay. So you stay in a humble abode. Welcome to my humble abode. That's because that's where you abide. To abide is to remain, to make your home in and to stay in. So Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. It's like Jesus is your new house. And Jude chapter 20, or Jude verse 20 and 21 tells us to remain in the love of God until his coming. So we should make our new home, our new dwelling place, our new space, the love of God. And like abiding is done by being in your word. It's done by praying. It's done by uh, doing that with other Christians. It's done by uh, many, many things. But ultimately what we need to do is make abiding our walk. Like it's a lifestyle. It's not just a once a day. It's not just a checklist. Uh, remaining in the love of God is like remaining under a waterfall. Like remaining in a house. And a house happens to have blood on the doorpost, right? Amen. <laughs> um, it's like remaining in a house. And here's the deal. It says that um, in abiding, this is in 1 John chapter 3, in abiding, the love of God is made perfect. It is perfected in you. And uh, that's a mysterious phrase that can mean a lot of things, but I guarantee you this is what, like, there's something to it right here is that your conscience and your spirit rejoices when you are abiding in the love of God. When you're interacting with God and you realize, like, we're walking with him, when we're walking just with our checklist or just just with the stuff we do, we tend to be uh, chronically disappointed and chronically let down. We're chronically like, man, I just, I can't do it, you know, I keep on failing. But when we come and our walk is with Jesus and the love of God, we are free to just enjoy his love always. Don't look at your relationship with your checklist and think that's your relationship with God. It's not. Your relationship with God is your relationship with Christ. And when you come to him, he says, I love you and gave myself for you. And he equipped you for every good work. My beloved servant, I forgive you. I I can help you. I'm with you in your struggles and with your temptations. That is our walk. And we can remember that always. Uh, I would also say, uh, as I even bring up spiritual, spirit, whatever... I would say listening is a part of this. Be aware of your own gut and your own conscience. What's going on in your own mind and and listen to it because it might be that your conscience screams at you to do certain things and to obey. And I would say that's obedience to the Lord. Uh, Yeah. The second part I think of is purifying yourselves. Uh, 2 Corinthians, I mentioned chapter 6. It referenced Revelation, or Leviticus 26. Are y'all with me? That was, Anyways. The part where he says, I'll walk with you, uh, I'll be your temple. It says, therefore, since we have this promise, let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So we need to bring holiness to completion in the fear of God by cleansing ourselves. How many of us have ever watched a movie with your parents and gone, I didn't remember that being in there. <laughs> or you've been in the car listening to music and something and you're like, man, I didn't realize Kanye West was so vulgar, dang it, and your parents were like, Davis, what is this? And uh, just me, yeah. Well, anyways, this thing happens when you have company that you become more aware of what's going on. Samuel and I were talking about this yesterday. Samuel's my new roommate. Uh, And... uh, so I've got a roommate, Jesus, who made his home with me, and I've got a new roommate, Sam. Um, it's actually been a cool picture. Like, a couple days in, we had this super deep conversation, and suddenly, when he made his home with me, we become way closer. That makes sense? Like, things change. Like, we've known each other from day to day, but, like, he moves in and immediately, like, we are so much closer. So there's something, there's something there. But um, we were talking about, I was like, man, what if Obama walked in our room right now? How would you feel? And... Uh, we were like, well, we'd sit up and we'd probably scramble to clean a little bit and we'd, we'd, res- we'd act respectfully and we'd ask him questions and we'd interact with him. And, uh, because if we didn't, it'd be... Can you imagine if he walked in and I just got my feet propped up on the couch and I'm just like, what's up, man? Like, welcome in, take a seat. Like, it's blatant disrespect to my company. Right That casualness is blatant disrespect to my company. I would obviously respond with respect towards him, and so it is with Christ who dwells in us. Like we must be aware that as Christ thumbs through our record collection or our library or our Netflix shows or whatever it is, like we must be aware that God made His home among us. And he is right there. He dwells within us. And it could be the more, I I mentioned earlier, we either grab the spirit or we grab the flesh. It could be the more we keep on grabbing the flesh with Christ's company, our spirit just becomes more and more quiet. I'm sure many of us are familiar with the idea of our conscience being seared and slowly just giving out, right? We can't let that happen. We must be shockingly aware of Christ's presence in our lives. So we should purify ourselves of things that don't please him. You see, I want Jesus to love living inside of me I want him to be pumped up about it I want him to delight the home that is my heart to delight in there and be excited and not constantly like man what is what is this or to feel that awkward tension when he picks up you know this book or what I saw on my phone or he picks up this music he's like dude what, what, what was this this should not belong in my house amen And then the third thing I think of is obedience. So 1 John chapter 2 describes also that the one who obeys perfects love. And this is another example of pleasing God. this is a huge deal that we get to walk in loving fellowship with God. Because when we abide, we're receiving the love of God. I'm saying, man, I'm resting, and I'm reminding myself of Christ's love for me, that he died for me and gave himself for me, and he he delights in me. And we walk together, and he hears me, and he's with me. And I I just get to remember that always. I can look back at my testimony in my past few years and see the way that God has carried me through and be like, man, he loves me. And I get to abide in love, and his love is perfected there. But when I obey Jesus says, the very first words of this passage, you love me by obeying my commands. It doesn't mean you prove yourself to God, but it means you get to love him by obeying him. How can I love God back? How can I love him? I will obey. And this obedience pleases God tremendously. There are several times in the Gospels where Jesus is appalled and shocked and thrilled at the faith and obedience of a few faithful people. This is what we get to do constantly. I read even this morning when, when the widow puts the, the two copper coins, like the one penny basically, in the, in the giving box. And she just stands up and is like, this is amazing. And you realize we get to do that every day when we obey. Do not neglect this. This is everything. Um, and, and so I'm aware, this has been a, a lot I haven't really gone off the side very much to stories or anything but I'm gonna wrap up here if you think about Christ dwelling with you or you think about Jesus being in this room let's say you think he's right here and maybe he's sitting next to Ryan and after the service you know when like a new like Taylor just came in from out of town today uh, and like there's like this line of people to hug her like oh my gosh we missed you and we all hug her and there's like this whole line and imagine are you the person that's like first in line you're like, man, like you're here. Or are you the person that like shrinks and hides. Maybe you try to squirm out at the end. Or maybe uh, you, you try to get lost in conversation with somebody else so that you won't make eye contact. Or you, uh, you're the last in line and uh, the line's over and you're like, hey. And it's just kind of tense. And I said there's no shame today, right? I said it three times now. And it's because of this. It's because Jesus said these three words... In the first verse, he said this. Or not in the first verse, what is it? 18. He says, I will come to you. He says, I will come to you. And I'm going to put this in your head. This is Amos 3.3. He says, "Um, how can two walk together unless they agree to meet? You with me? How can two walk together unless they agree to meet? And Jesus is aware of this, and he wants to walk with you. And he says, I will come to you says I will come to you and all of heaven is looking and they're like Jesus you're crazy the crowd is like don't do it the crowd says Jesus your heavenly comforts and he says I don't care they say Jesus you're going to go be poor, born to a poor family with a with a mom who's not even married yet you'll be the shame he says I don't care he says you'll be rejected by everyone even your own people who study your word constantly will reject you and they will plot to kill you constantly He says, I don't care. He says, you'll fast for 40 days in the wilderness from food and water. And then at the end, you'll be tempted by the devil. And he says, I'll do it. And then they said, Jesus, they will rip your skin off your back and pierce nails through your hands and through your feet. And your tongue will stick the side of your jaw and and thorns will pierce the crown of your head. And you'll hang there in shame as everyone mocks you. Even your own disciples will betray you. And even Peter, one of your favorites, will deny you. And Jesus says, I don't care. I'm going. And he stands before Calvary and he says, I'm doing it for the joy of walking with my people. And he hangs there and he does it for us. And he goes and he walks up to you. Jesus walks up to you dismembered and bloody and he picks up the blood with a rag and he lavishes you in the blood. And he says, I forgive you. And I love you. Walk with me. Just walk with me. This is the call of God. God himself has done this just to walk with you. Won't you you agree to meet Let me pray for us.